What's up, fellow fabricators, stone shop owners from across the Fruited Plain and beyond? This is the Fab Lab Podcast, and I am your host, Aaron Crowley. Could not be more excited to be tuning in with you for episode 162, the easiest business in the world, the best business model in the world, the best side hustle in the world. Now, I'm not going to be talking about a specific business. What I am talking about are factors that lend themselves to a type of business that allows you to generate maximum income with the least amount of stress, work, risk, effort, headache, blood, sweat, and tears. All things associated with running a countertop shop. And so today I'm going to wrap up this series. It's kind of been a theme that we've been talking about. We know what makes a stone business so hard and what to do about it. And we talked about that, what we can do within our businesses. And the last couple of episodes have been talking about a kind of an idea, a topic, not per se a suggestion, but at least an option for people to consider when you've solved a problem within your own business, there is the possibility of taking that solution that you've created and making it available to other fabricators in the industry. And in so doing, it actually has the potential to make your life easier, to make running your countertop shop less hard because you generate income out of another business that requires a lot less effort and energy, time, risk, Etc. Etc. It's interesting. I was having a conversation yesterday with a potential coaching client, a stone shop owner, very successful, very large company. And this individual made a fantastic point, kind of talking about this subject of what makes countertop fabrication and what makes the business so hard. And this, uh, this fellow stone shop owner was commenting that, you know, in a restaurant, you know what, if you have an employee that cuts the tomato wrong, this is such a great point. If they cut the tomato wrong, you know, the customer's still probably going to be okay with the burrito. But even if you have to remake the burrito because the tomato was cut wrong, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> you can remake a burrito every now and then and it not show up in the profit and loss. But in a countertop shop, you make one wrong cut, the slab's toast, and depending on the cost of that material, depending on the month, depending on what's going on in the business at any given time, that one miscut could mean the difference between a profit, breaking even, or even losing money in a month after all that work, effort, energy, risk, et cetera, et cetera. And so the fact is, running a countertop shop is hard. What can we do to make it a little bit easier? And what can we do to be selective about the business options available to us that would make running a business less hard? Because I think that's part of the risk here is I'm talking about, oh, hey, yeah, running your existing business is a full-time job plus maybe 10, 20, 30 hours a week. And you want me to start another business? Yeah, If another business was just as hard as running a countertop shop, I wouldn't be making that suggestion that you consider it. But because there are factors in the business model I'm going to share with you today, it completely changes the dynamic in terms of the amount of risk, in terms of the amount of effort, in terms of the amount of energy, in terms of the number of headaches that you have to deal with in generating a dollar of income on a side hustle, especially if it's a solution that you have already created. So today I'm gonna, we're going to start with these three factors. Again, I think, as I mentioned in the last episode, what I'm going to share with you today is of ext such extraordinary value, I would be absolutely justified in charging for it. It's that valuable of information and insight that I've learned over the last 20, 
four years of being in business for myself, having been in multiple different businesses, all related to the countertop industry. But I'm not going to charge. I'm just going to share it with you because I want this podcast, I want this relationship that we have to just to, to, to help to be a, a a solution to be a resource for you that makes, I mean, I've ran a countertop shop for 23 years. I know how hard it is. I know the strain. I know the tears, fellow fabricator, that if you were to stop and pause and give yourself enough time just <laughs> to be quiet, um, I know the strain. And what I share here on the Fab Lab podcast is, is, is intended to reduce the strain, to make running your countertop shop less of a strain on you and on the people that work for you. And so before we get into this topic that I could otherwise charge for, I want to just reiterate what I mentioned in the last two episodes. In two weeks from today, I leave for San Vicente, Mexico. It's a little town in Baja, California, about four or five hours south of Tijuana. I am leading a group of 40, I think it's 43 people now, adults and kids, to an orphanage called Rancho Santa Marta. It was the first special needs orphanage ever started. It was started in the 1970s by a couple who, when they went down to Mexico to take over this orphanage, didn't even speak Spanish. But they felt this calling to leave the life that they had in Southern California to go down and serve these orphans down in the Baja Peninsula. And so for the last four or five years, I have been going down there with a group, doing construction, just going down there to help, going down there to spend a week serving, kind of getting out of my own self-centered, self-focused life that uh, I do the other 51 weeks out of the year, and, uh, and, and basically serve others. And so I'm leading this group. This year, I'm actually leading this group, the folks, the couple that have led this um, organization and led this trip down there for the last 15 years or taking a step back. They asked me to lead it. I co-led it last year and this year I am leading that group by myself with obviously some help. There are some other, uh, other adults that are going to, are going to definitely be instrumental in us successfully getting this group down there and Lord willing, getting them back across the board. I want to ask you if you find the Fab Lab podcast valuable to you, um, if, if, if you are you know, in any way touched by what I've just shared, would you go to the show notes on this episode and consider making a donation to this organization, Rancho Santa Marta? There'll be a link in the show notes with some instructions. You got to put my group in there, Living Water Spanish. It's the the Spanish school that the, the these friends of ours run, and that's how they take this trip down there to help people practice Spanish, et cetera, et cetera. But if you would consider donating to this trip, that is what funds the construction work that we will do down there at this school, this orphanage for special needs orphans. And um, it's also become a school for special needs kids in the community. And so uh, this orphanage and this school continues to grow. And so every year we go down there and we do a lot of concrete work. Um, we build school rooms and, and things of that nature to serve this community and to serve this orphanage. And so would you go to the show notes and support this trip. That would be fantastic. Now let's talk about what makes this business model that I have been alluding to, that I've been referring to, what makes this business model so great? Well, the contrast of this business model, these three factors are what are missing in the countertop industry. So I want to talk about it first, setting the stage, sort of painting the picture in relation to the business that you're already in. The business that I've been in, well, I was in until a year and a half ago. 
fabricating. So these three factors are not present in the countertop industry. So we're going to talk about them in that context, and then we're going to talk about what they look like in a side hustle and why when you consider these factors, it's like, oh, yeah, if I've already solved a problem in my business, I may be able to convert that into a side hustle that generates dollars with a small, 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 small fraction of the amount of effort, energy, and time that the countertop shop requires. So number one, these are the three factors that are not present in a countertop shop. For all intents and purposes, number one, you're ultimately serving the retail public, a consumer, the end user of a countertop, whether you're doing this job through a contractor or you're doing it directly. At the end of the day, it's still a homeowner in the home who's going to get that granite or quartz countertop installed. So you may be even working for a builder. Your contract is with a contractor. But you know what? You still, at the end of the day, are subject to Mrs. Jones. My countertops are cracked. No, they're not cracked. Mrs. Jones, you came in for the layout. We pointed out those veins in that exotic material to you before you signed off on the layout. It's not cracked. It's a vein. It's part of the material. And we explained that before we laid it out and cut it. But I'm not happy. Folks, at the end of the day, with a few exceptions, obviously they're commercial jobs Obviously, there are scenarios where this isn't strictly true, but by and large, the vast majority of the countertop production goes into a residential setting where a homeowner ultimately is the customer. That's number one. The end user is the consumer. Number two, the challenge is most of those customers, the reason Mrs. Jones is so crazy is because this may be the only time in her life she buys or invests in a granite or quartz countertop. She may be, have waited 30 years to get rid of that old laminate or that old tile and replace it with granite or quartz. Or this remodel is the, is the remodel she's been dreaming about her whole entire life. And this is the one shot. This is the one opportunity. And that's the case with most customers. This is a once-in-a-lifetime purchase for many, many people. So the problem with that in the countertop business, even though there are exceptions to this, even though there is repeat business to a certain degree, and even though contractors can bring you repeat business at the retail level, you have to go find new customers every month. Or that contractor has to go out and find new customers every month. You don't get the benefit after all that blood, sweat, and tears, after all that sacrifice. You know what? Yeah, we cut the tomato wrong. You know what? We're going to go ahead and give you another burrito. Okay, you didn't like the veins. You, didn't, you think it's a crack. We'll go ahead and replace it. The problem with that is that you incur all of that massive expense on the front end without the prospect or the likelihood of being able to see that customer come back next month or next month. Where with the burrito analogy, people are creatures of habit. You know, you know, happy with the burrito. I know that you come in here at least once a week. Let me make you another burrito. Happy to do it because I know that customer is going to come back. Now, if I don't take care of them, they may not come back. But if I do... That customer comes back and that repeat business, granite and quartz countertops don't wear out. <laughs> They're not a consumable, unfortunately. And so you have to go out and continuously find new customers at the retail level. Number three, granite countertops, fabrication of quartz countertops is constrained by geography for the most part. Now, again, there are exceptions to this, but it's not economical in most cases most fabrication companies are regional regional with a few exceptions 
But because of the because of the weight of the countertops, because of the custom nature of the work itself, and because of the length of an install, you are constrained by geography. There is a certain point at which you can only dr- two guys or three guys can only drive so far to do a day's worth of work and get back in time to go do another one the next day. So in a sense, fabrication is by and large regional. Your market is constrained by the distance that you can drive and install and install it and still get back in time to get a good night's sleep so that your installers can go out and do it again the next day. Of course, there's some companies that that have satellite installation operations, and, and they do that well. It can be done, but man, talk about a logistical challenge. When you look at the weight of countertops relative to shipping costs, and when you look at the fragility of a finished countertop in lieu of trying to crate countertops and ship them. When you combine the fragileness with the cost of shipping because of the weight of the countertop, it's just, it's got to be one of the most difficult things to ship and transport economically. So what that does is it limits the size of the market to the range with which you can reasonably drive and install a job. Now, I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying those are what they are. And you need to have a baseline to understand that's one of the reasons, I guess you could say, if the, if the antithesis of this, if the contrast to this is the best business model, it makes the countertop fabrication one of the most difficult business models. The consumer is the end user. You don't get repeat work, or at least you can't predict it. You can't, you, you can't rely on it. And number three, it's constrained by geography. So your market is limited to the place where you can drive. So with that being said, that being the essence, that being the reality, the three factors that make the countertop fabrication industry so hard, let's look at what the opposite of that is, the contrast that makes a side hustle business so extraordinary. And why it may be worth considering, and this is why this is so extraordinarily valuable, what I'm about to share with you is worth charging for, but I'm going to give it to you at no cost because I love you, because I care about you, because I want to see your business succeed, and I want to see you get more life out of life, more opportunity out of life in this business that can consume so much of our lives. And so let's get into the three factors that make this the best business model in the world, the best side hustle on the face of the earth, perhaps upon the universe. So number one, the number one factor that makes the best business model in the world is it is business to business, okay? B to B, biz to biz. At the end of the day, your customer is a business owner that is entirely different than the end user being a consumer. Mrs. Jones, here's why. Mrs. Jones in the evening, if she works, has nothing better to do than look at that countertop and go, Harold, I think our countertops are cracked. Or look at this little tiny speck. There's a pit in our counter. Oh my gosh, I waited my entire life to buy these things. We got screwed. Call the contractor. Call the fabricator. I want it replaced. She's got nothing better to do than nitpick and annoy the fabricator to death. A business owner has bigger things to deal with, bigger fish to fry, as it were. The business owner has better things to do. Not to say that quality isn't important. Not to say that they don't need to have stuff you know, delivered that's of the highest quality. That, that's not what I'm saying. But a business owner has a hierarchy of and, and a limit on time. They have got a responsibility to serve their customers. They're dealing with Mrs. Jones. 
So they have got to rely on other businesses that can support them in that endeavor. When you are one layer removed from the consumer, the business owner spends so much time making the burrito or making the countertop, they don't have as much time as Mrs. Jones does to nitpick, in a sense. They've got to develop relationships with suppliers or other business partners that can provide them what they need predictably and consistently so that they can spend their time dealing with Mrs. Jones at the consumer level. So let's just put this in. We've talked about the burrito, which I think is a brilliant analogy. Thank you, fellow fabricator, who shared that with me yesterday in our exploratory coaching conversation. That was fantastic. But let's just look at look at it like this. Retail to business to business. If you've got a product that you manufacture and it's, for whatever reason, it's scratched, you can't put that on the shelf. You can't put it. You can't. You can't put it out for display. The 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 retail public is going to go. I'm not paying full retail for that because it's got a scratch in it. I don't care what it is. If there's any sort of a flaw or defect defect in the even in the aesthetics of that product or the surface, you know, or or the service. But let's look at it from a business standpoint. The business owner isn't concerned with the aesthetics of whether or not a blade has a scratch on it. I'm concerned with whether the blade cuts. Is the blade going to cut the countertop so that I can install it for Mrs. Jones? You see the difference in that? The further you are removed from the retail world and the more that you are doing business to business, you get to do business on a practical world. Hey, man, this, this, this blade scratched. And? Does it cut? Yeah, it cuts. Is there any defect in the blade? No. I just, I just nicked it pulling out of the truck. Whatever. You got a relationship. You're showing up at that place once a week to do business with that business owner. I got bigger fish to fry than whether or not that blade has a scratch on it. I'm going to get the invoice. It's going to cut the countertop. I'm on to bigger fish. You see the difference between that when you're doing business? The value that you provide another business is the consistency and the predictability that you are enabling him to still Serve his customer. That's the key. It's not in the weeds. It's not in the nitpicking. It's not in Mrs. Jones. With nothing better to do, the business owner has better things to do. And as long as you provide that business owner a predictable and consistent service that enables him to focus on taking care of his or her customer, wow, it's an entirely different dynamic. The emotion is removed. Think about the difference between a builder who's building a spec home, and Mrs. Jones. There may be nuances in that countertop. The builder's like, yeah, that's one. This, this is my business. I build houses. I don't inspect countertops. Versus Mrs. Jones, who the only thing she cares about is how well that countertop has been manufactured. It doesn't mean you do work to a lower quality, but just in the practical reality of doing business, doing business with another business owner changes the dynamic and the amount of effort and the amount of strain that that you as the owner or the provider of that product or service experiences in the interest of the business, i.e. this side hustle, i.e. this best business model. So if given the choice between selling a countertop to a homeowner or selling a product or service to a fellow stone shop owner who is in business, the dynamic couldn't be more Dramatic. The, the contrast couldn't be more stark. So that's number one, business to business. That's the first key in the best business model in the world, the best side hustle on the face of the earth or in the universe. So number two, it's got to be repeatable, a consumable or a, cons or a subscription 
type business. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's take it back to the counter. The countertops don't wear out. So that homeowner is not going to come back in a year from now and go, hey, we had a great experience last year. Counters are wore out. Now we're ready to buy something else. No, one of the great reasons people buy countertops is they don't ever have to buy a countertop again. Now, if that customer sells their house and moves to another house without countertops that they like, yeah, they might buy, they, they may they may hire you again to do that. We used to do a ton of you know reorders in that regard. But in terms of the product itself, you recut the slab at great expense, perhaps even a loss in the month that you made the countertop to keep the customer happy. If they stay in that house forever, chances are you never get to do work for them again. Maybe a bathroom, maybe a vanity, but you get my point. You need to understand a concept called, or it's a, it's a metric, it's a factor called the lifetime value of a customer. In the countertop world, unless maybe you sell them the sealing service where you come in once a year and reseal, which is perhaps moving in this direction, but this is where the difference comes into play. You sell it once, now I got to go find another customer. Now I got to go find another customer. Now I got to go find another customer. If you are selling a repeatable, a consumable, or a subscription type product or service, once you earn that customer's business, there is a lifetime value if you take care of them, if you do predictable and consistent work that allows them to run their business more effectively, you can expect to, to, to benefit from that relationship forever, inevitably. The lifetime value of that customer, I do one kitchen at 5000 or... I have one customer that pays me $100 a month for the next 20 years. Do the math on that. 20 years, 240, that's $24,000 at $100 a month versus 5,000 once. It takes the same amount of effort to earn that customer's business initially. One of them, you got to go back the next month and find a new customer. Once you've earned that business owner's trust, and they have made the decision to do business with you, if you take care of them, the lifetime value of that relationship goes on and on and on. Many, many, many multiples of that one-off product that you're providing. So let's look at a couple of different ways that this plays out in a side hustle for a stone shop owner like you who may have already solved a problem for somebody else. You look at maintenance on equipment. Now, you can sell the equipment one time, and unless that piece of equipment wears out really fast, you got to go find another customer to buy another piece of equipment from you. Trust me, I know. I manufacture the no-lift. That's my life. I got to find another customer to buy. The darn things don't wear out, unfortunately. So we got to go find more fabricators to buy them to keep the business going versus maintenance on equipment. Guess what happens to equipment? The components wear out over time. In fact, regularly, if you were to look at the average maintenance cost of a piece of equipment that's running, you know, maybe a shift or two shifts, if you're doing maintenance for a company, you may be able to do ongoing, you're in there, you know, two, three, four, five times, depending on if you're regional, you could be in there periodically, you could be in there frequently, depending on the age of the equipment, depending on the relationship. The owner doesn't care. I can't afford to buy a new machine tomorrow, but I can't afford not to have that machine running tomorrow. I got to get somebody in here who can fix the machine. That maintenance is repeatable. And when the next component breaks down in three months or in six months or in nine months, this is true about vehicles as well, but I'm just trying to illustrate the difference between selling a piece of equipment, which is a one-off and you got to go find another customer, or selling maintenance of that equipment, 
There's a lifetime value as long as you take care of that business owner who needs that piece of equipment running tomorrow so he can keep Mrs. Jones or she can keep Mrs. Jones happy. Wow, maintenance is a repeatable business. What about a consumable? Well, business owners in the countertop industry need to seal their granite. So if I was a provider, if let's just say I had a really unique sealer, I'd solved a unique problem that seals a particular kind of stone or seals stone in a particularly unique way or superior way or advantageous way, that sealer runs out. It's used up. It is consumed. Every time they splash that on the reg and seal a countertop, the volume in the bottle goes down. You get to the bottom of the bottle. Hey, I need more sealer. That's the lifetime value of that customer, that consumable product. The same thing is true for diamond blades. The diamond blades wear out. The adhesive where you glue those edges, you glue those seams, over time, that can of uh, you know polyester glue or acrylic glue or epoxy, it's gone and you gotta buy more because you gotta keep the customer happy. You gotta keep the business going. It, 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 the, the business owner can't not continue to use that consumable in the day-to-day operations of the business. And so that's another thing, lifetime value of the customer. Can you develop a consumable product that a fellow business owner would use up as opposed to use would use up repeatedly? Frequently, regularly, lifetime value of the customer. Now let's look at software. This to me, my goodness. When I see the software companies like ActionFlow, like MoreAware, like Eased Edge, like others who have developed a service, it's basically a software subscription, software as subscription, subscription is software. I'm not sure it's SaaS, S-A-A-S, is a model in the basically the tech world How do you develop a solution for a business in the form of software that allows you to run the business more effectively and for the privilege of using the software, you pay a subscription. You don't buy the software. Hey, that software package will be 10,000 bucks. That's like 2005. 2023, you just pay a subscription. What is it a month? It's three, four, five, 600 a month. Whatever the subscription is per month, you just pay it out a little bit every month. Forever. Lifetime value of the the customer When you have a business model that either is a repeatable product like maintenance, a consumable product like a sealer, like diamond blades, like adhesives, or a subscription-based model like software, once again, once you've earned that client, as long as you take care of them in a predictable and consistent manner, allowing them to better run their business and serve Mrs. Jones... The amount of work that you have to do to go out and find new customers, find new customers, find new customers on that treadmill, the amount of stress, once you've developed an adequate customer base, you don't have to go out and find new customers. You can generate enough business on an ongoing basis simply by providing the product or service that they need to run their business. It's brilliant. It's genius. And it's one of the most significant things that separates running a countertop shop, especially at the retail level. But it's still true at the contract level. A repeatable, consumable, or subscription-based product. So what kind of solution have you created in your business? Think of it in terms of how could you introduce that product or service in such a way that it is either repeatable or consumable or a subscription, how do you charge for that? And on a subscription type basis, that is a transformative factor. And I'm going to get to this 
as I wrap this episode up, I'm going to explain this in a little more detail within the context of my two businesses right now that do serve the stone industry. And you can see a little bit more clearly. But that's the second factor, repeatable, consumable, or subscription-based. The key phrase being the lifetime value of a customer. Once you have earned that customer, that business owner's business, if you take care of them, you may have them for life. It's revenue. That's It almost becomes like passive income in the sense that once the system is set up to deliver the product or service, the amount of work necessary to sustain and maintain the business drops significantly, yet the income continues. Okay, and last, geography, something to think about. Now, one of the challenges is evaluating in advance because it's really easy to have a great product, a great service, a great solution that you've created and then just start selling it without really taking stock of how you might develop it or what factors may be at play. If you, for example, wanted to create a service of, I don't know, if you invented some like robotic machine that could take a full slab up a flight of stairs and into somebody's kitchen, but it was really expensive and most fabrication shop owners couldn't afford to buy that. Perhaps you could just provide the service. Hey, for 500 bucks, I'll get that slab into that kitchen and put it on the cabinet. Hey, great. 500 bucks is better than 50,000 for the robot. You know, I'm, I'm just riffing here. That would be constrained by geography. You would be constrained. Your market would be limited by how far you could drive to provide that service in the same way that the fabrication shop owner or the fabrication business is constrained by how far you can drive reasonably in a day, get an install done and drive back so that you got enough sleep for the next install the next day. So when you're thinking about the best business model on the face of the earth, when you're thinking about a side hustle where the goal here is to generate maximum income with the absolute least amount of effort, energy, and risk... Well, if you provide a service that is constrained by geography, you've made it a little bit harder because you've limited the size of your customer base. You've limited the potential market. So thinking outside of the region, thinking of, for example, software is not constrained by region. The internet makes the entire world accessible. In addition to that, FedEx and UPS, (laughs) the ability to overnight product, depending on the size and the weight and the way that it's packaged. Some products are easier shipped than others. I can ship a box of sleeves. Fabricator's friend at the wholesale level. It's, I don't know what we charge for that. I don't know, maybe $2,500 is maybe what the gross sale of that box of sleeves is. 3000 bucks. I can ship that box of sleeves for probably $15 across the country. A $3,000 countertop probably weighs upwards of 1,000 pounds. My cost to crate that thing's probably 500. My cost to ship it is probably over 1,000. You see the difference? You see the, the contrast? Versus delivering a software for free over the internet, whatever my internet you know, connection costs, is virtually free. So you see the difference, the way that the product, the way that the service, thinking through this in terms of the geography and what constraints exist to limit your access to larger markets, you know what? You can ship a bottle of sealer. You can ship a box of bottles of sealer relatively inexpensively, a lot less expensively than you can ship an install cart, for example, (laughs) that doesn't wear out. So, so geography, thinking through how 
you can access the market. How broad is your appeal geographically speaking? Is it limited or is it unlimited? And so when you think through a side hustle, thinking through how large is the market and, and, and how economically can I access and serve that, in a sense, global market or international, or national, or regional, or state, or city. You get you get the picture? So, number three, the third factor in the best business model in the world is that it is not constrained by geography. You can economically, I can economically serve Europe just as cost-effectively as somebody on the East Coast can serve Europe if I'm shipping a box of sleeves to Europe. For all intents and purposes, I have access. Somebody in Europe technically has no distinct advantage over me from a shipping standpoint because the cost of getting that product there is so is so small as a percentage of the actual cost of the product itself. I can afford there's enough margin to make that competitive. So the entire globe is, for all intents and purposes, accessible for the marketplace, whereas shipping equipment, less so. Shipping countertops, even less so. So that's the third factor. It's not constrained by geography. So fellow fabricator, should you start a side hustle? That's not for me to say. I would never suggest that. All I will do is share with you how these side hustles in my own business have have transformed my experience as being a stone shop owner, how they made running a stone shop easier because it reduced the burden. It reduced my reliance on, on the countertop company for my income, those side hustles at times were instrumental in keeping my countertop shop going through difficult times. I think I shared in the last episode one time Fabricator's friend bought a set of like $4,000 set of tooling for our CNC. It was like wrong time of the year, crummy couple of months, cash flow is tight with receivables, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, we need this set of bits. It's like, Fabricator's friend can pay for those and the countertop shop can pay them back, you know, in a couple of months when the cash flow situation returns. So it can benefit there. It also benefits by exposing us to other aspects of professional development and other aspects of the industry and business in general. So am I suggesting you should do this? No, I'm not. I'm just simply telling you that it it can have a tremendous impact on reducing the overall strain on you as an owner Because the perfect side hustle, the best business in the world, can contribute massive income at a fraction of the cost of your time. And I'm going to share that here in a minute. So real quick, let me make some comparisons here to this effect. Again, not suggesting that you should do this, but just telling you the scope and the scale of proportion. So in my fab shop, which I owned for 23 years, when we sold, we had over 20 employees. So let's just call it 20 and let's just assume they weren't working overtime. There were months just with factors being what they were, a couple of jobs bumped off the calendar, a couple of broken countertops, a bunch of overtime because of a complicated project that we took on. You know you know the, the, the story. It's what makes the countertop business so hard. There were months where my entire staff worked their rear ends off and we broke even. All that work, all that effort, all that energy, all that blood, sweat, and tears to not generate any income. It happens in this countertop industry. It happens. And there are other months where you lose money with the same level of effort. Okay, so let's just put this into to metrics that can be compared. So 20 employees working 168 hours a week or over the course of a month with no overtime. That's 3,360 man hours or man and woman hours, if you will. There were 3,360 hours worked in a calendar month to break even. 
Now, let me compare that to one of my side hustles that is now a primary business for me, Fabricator's Friend. We source, we ship, and we bill for a product line that we have developed, that we have manufactured by somebody else. We simply do the logistics of providing that product to our 10 or 11 or 12, 13 customers, Grand Courts, Braxton Bragg, you know, Vector, Triton, Direct Stone, Infinity, Western Tool, GMR. If there's folks that I forgot, I apologize. But you get the picture. We've got a customer base of repeat orders going out. So we handle the logistics of sourcing that product line and providing it to our big distributors who then turn around and provide it to their business-to-business customers who then provide it to their employees to make their jobs less hard. (laughs) My daughter, who's 17 years old, works no more than 15, probably as few as 10 hours a week. The only employee for that company, and I'm here to tell you, that business generates profits consistently over the course of a year that were probably anywhere f- about a third. If you're talking just comparisons, my, my stone shop on an annual basis, on a decent year, what it would, what it, what it would generate in terms of net income to me as the owner of the business with 20 people working full-time, 3,300 hours a month worked, I am not exaggerating to say that I have a side hustle that generates a third of that net income on an annual basis with one employee working no more than 15 hours a week. So you do the math on that. 3,360 at the most, that's at a minimum for 20 employees in the countertop shop, versus a side hustle where at most she's working 60 hours a month and some months probably fewer than 40 to generate a third of the income. So that's the dynamic I'm trying to illustrate. Am I suggesting you should do this? No. I've been doing Fabricator's Friend for a good long time now, so it's had time to develop and get to this place. But I'm just telling you to illustrate Fabricator's Friend is would be by definition one of the best business models in the world. Number one is business to business. Number two, it's a consumable. Even though our sleeves and aprons and jackets don't wear out very fast, over time they do wear out. And I think what makes it repeatable and consumable is that people must steal those. People must quit and take their aprons and sleeves with them. I don't know where they go, but we can't make them fast enough. So it's a consumable. It does wear out over time, and it has to be replaced. And because it's a great product with a great reputation, Those fabrication shop owners, employees go, I need another pair of stone sleeves. So the owner goes to their supplier, Grand Courts, Braxton Bragg, et cetera, et cetera. I need another pair of sleeves. And they turn around and send me a PO. We turn around and send an order to our manufacturer, ship a box of 25 more sleeves. That's all we do. It's a repeatable business. I don't have to go out and find a new customer every month to sustain that business. As long as we continue to provide a good quality product predictably and consistently, we have a business, the lifetime value of that product. And number three, it's not constrained by geography. We ship those products all over the world economically. So should you do this? That's up to you, fellow fabricant. I'm just simply sharing with you the possibility of generating significant amounts of income with a very insignificant amount of effort, energy, risk associated with it when compared to the countertop industry when these three factors are present, when these three variables are arranged in such a way that they are optimized for you, fellow fabricator, to generate you enough income, taking that solution that you may have created in your business, thinking through this 
spectrum, if you will, of considerations, these factors, and saying, how can I take that solution and get it to align with these three factors in such a way that I can start generating income for myself basically in my sleep? And, and folks, I'm telling you, that's what it's like. Now, should you do it? That's up to you. I'm just sharing you sharing with you that it's possible. And what to think about if you have created a solution, how to think through this in terms of how you might then introduce it to your fellow stone shop owners across the fruited plain who would benefit and go, thank you very much for solving this problem. I'd be happy to pay you for that solution because it makes my job easier as I go out and deal with Mrs. Jones. You see you see the, the, the correlation there? So let me just give you another way to score this. Countertop shop on these three factors, it's a zero out of a three. And I'm not, that's not to denigrate it. It's just to speak honestly and truthfully and transparently about these three factors. This is why countertop fabrication is so hard and why it doesn't get any easier with scale. And so, so, I mean, it's amazing how many folks reach out to me for coaching and what do they want? They want to know, hey, should I grow my business? I'm absolutely working at the absolute limit of my capacity right now, but I think that by growing the business to the next level, it'll somehow get easier. I'm telling you, fellow fabricator, if growing your business, your existing business, if you're struggling to manage what you've already got, it's going to get harder if you grow it. You're going to work more hours with more stress and possibly make less money unless you are a above average, absolutely phenomenal manager. And some people pull that off. Many don't. I would suggest before you go down that path, maybe considering instead of growing your countertop shop, it's a zero out of a three in terms of these best business models of the world factors, consider introducing a solution that you've already created in your business and making it available to other fabricators to make their lives less difficult, make their business less hard to run, and maybe make your life a little bit easier. So no lift. This is the other business that I run. It's a two out of three. Unfortunately, we weren't smart enough to build into this product Planned obsolescence. The darn thing doesn't work out. I was thinking this morning, the first three carts we sold was in early 2015 here in Portland. Those three carts are still being used by those fabricators today in 2023. What is that? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 20. Eight, eight years later, those products have, I haven't sold another cart to either of those two companies in the last eight years. The lifetime value of the of that relationship is limited but we do ship those internationally and it's business to business so no lift it's a two out of a three but i gotta tell you i'm just being as transparent i've always committed to being absolutely utterly and totally honest with you fellow fabricator those of you that show up here to the fab lab podcast you know i would never shade the truth it's a lot of work having to go out and sell another batch of cards every month it's a marathon it's like being on a treadmill and so no lift, that business model gets a two out of a three. Fabricator's friend, it's a three out of a three. The thing generates insane amounts of income, net profit every month comes into the account virtually while we sleep. We've got the lifetime value of a whole bunch of fabricators whose employees love the product. We got about 10 distributors in the industry who love the product because we predictably and consistently deliver to them a high quality product that brings value to their business-to-business clients. They don't have to babysit. They don't have to worry about it. And as long as we ship them good product on time, that business will continue, probably for another 20 years. And we're going to expand that product line. 
I don't have to go out and find new customers. As I develop new solutions, this is the brilliance. This is the genius. I didn't think this up. I didn't create this. I just stumbled into it, fellow fabricator. And I'm just telling you, this is what makes the best business model in the world so fantastic. And if you've got a solution, think through it in these terms. Fabricator's friend is a three out of a three. Business to business, it's a consumable, it's a repeat, it wears out over time and it's got to be replaced and it's not constrained by geography. And the money just rolls in. And people are happy to pay for the product that brings them so much value. So everybody wins in that sense. So, fellow fabricator, should you start a side hustle? I would never say that. I would never suggest it. Can you? Absolutely. Should you think about these three factors that make the best business model in the world, the best business model in the world? Boy, if you can take the time to think through that, I am telling you five years from now, if you start that side hustle, you will thank me. You will, you will, maybe you'll probably forget. You'd be like, man, I am so smart. Look at this business model. I am so glad that I had the genius and the brilliance to take that solution and turn around and sell it to other fabricators because it was a B2B product or service. It was a repeatable or a consumable or subscription type product or service that I was able to introduce to the industry. And it wasn't constrained by geography. So the entire world is my marketplace. And you'll be back there collecting that money, rolling in and and patting yourself on the back. And I will be here going, well done, fellow fabricator. I'll still probably be here on the Fab Lab podcast producing another episode for you. For the people that are still fabricating as their sole source of income, it'll still be hard five years from now, fellow fabricators. And I'll still be here, Lord willing, doing all I can do to come alongside you, to encourage you, to inspire you, to tell you that you can do it. If you keep, if you keep working, you can make that business less hard. You can develop a business that does work in your absence. You can develop a business. You can manage a business. You can delegate in that business in such a way that you take what you have learned as the owner of that company and you can transfer it to your employees. There are ways of running a business, a stone shop, more effectively that actually makes it more profitable and reduces the strain that it has on you. And so as long as the opportunity presents itself and as long as there's an audience showing up here for the Fab Lab podcast, I will be here proclaiming that message that you can do it, fellow fabricator, and it's worth it. So make sure you tune in next week for the next episode of the Fab Lab podcast. And until then, happy fabricating.